Hair loss is something that touches literally half the people on the planet. About 50% of men and women are going to experience some form of hair loss by the time they hit 50. That means that either you or someone you know is going through this process right now. For some people, this is a devastating, life-changing event. For others, it's an inconvenience, and for a few, it doesn't even cross their minds. A lot of the common questions we hear are, why am I losing my hair? Is there anything I can do that actually works? And who can I talk to if this is something that's upsetting me? On this podcast, Dr. Sam Van Eden joins me to help answer some of these questions. Dr. Sam is a hair restoration surgeon with years of experience helping men and women of all ages deal with their hair loss. He's a member of the American Board of Hair Restoration Surgery, which is a global authority in the industry. And despite his many other qualifications, treating hair loss is a bit of a passion for him. We get into a lot of different topics surrounding hair in this one, from finasteride and dutasteride, the highly controversial medications, hair transplants, regenerative treatments like PRP, and some of the social and emotional issues that can surround hair loss. There are some very important messages to take from this one, and if anything we say over the next hour or so resonates with you, please drop us a message and let us know. Enjoy! This is a podcast about finding answers to human questions, taking control and feeling good. This is the Human Regeneration Project. Dr. Sam, welcome back to another episode of the Human Regeneration Project. Thank you. Um, so we have an interesting topic today, and mm. that topic is hair loss. So one, one of, of my the favorites. One of your favorites, yeah. Mm. One of the treatments that we perform, obviously, here in the clinic is hair mm. restoration. Correct. Um, now, part of that is hair transplants, which most people associate with hair restoration. They think that's that what hair restoration is. Um, but before we get into the treatments for this, Hair loss itself, why don't you give us a little bit of, of an understanding from, from your point of view, because you're obviously a, a fully qualified hair restoration surgeon. What exactly is hair loss? Because it's a little bit more complex than people might think. Dan, the most important thing about hair loss is that it is a medical condition. As a matter of fact, it is a chronic medical condition, and it should be addressed and approached in the same way we address any other medical condition or chronic medical conditions in medicine. If you have a person with diabetes, I hope that you will make sure that you are seen by a qualified general practitioner or a specialist for managing your chronic diabetes. And the same with high blood pressure, high cholesterol disease. Any chronic disease should be seen by a medical doctor and treated by a medical doctor. So. It is important for people not to think about hair loss as a cosmetic misfortune or a deficit in just losing hair. It is at the essence of the origin of the hair loss, a medical condition. And it's mainly caused by a genetic disposition of such a person with a tendency to hair loss. So what I do say is that a person is actually born with a hair loss gene. You are 
born with a male pattern baldness gene or a female pattern baldness gene and you already have that gene by birth and as time develop and as you age these genes becomes more active and to make it very simple for our listeners to understand hair loss itself is caused by uh, 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 gene protected areas and gene unprotected areas so what does that mean if you think about your typical bald guy and you see on the top of the head there's no hair shiny head healthy scalp and there's lovely bush hair around the sides and the back that is your typical male pattern baldness uh, person what happened to those hair on the top where you don't see any hair left those gene those hair follicles had gene unprotected follicles what does that mean it means that at a certain stage of life the the hair lost its uh, its uh, growth cycle due to exposure to testosterone that is naturally circulating in that body so why didn't he lose all the hair no the hair on the sides on the back are naturally gene protected it means it has a way of resisting the natural testosterone in the body but unfortunately the hair on the top where it was lost did not have that protection that the hair on the sides and the back is so when you say that this is a, um, a a genetic condition can you walk us through start to finish if i'm somebody that has this gene for hair loss mm. or male pattern or female pattern bonus mm. can you walk me through what happens from the start to the finish because you say testosterone now mm. i know obviously it's it's a derivative a form of testosterone mm. dht and mm. um, but ju- just for people who aren't aware how this process happens can you take us through the journey from yeah. the start to finish of hair loss? Yeah. So when you are born, you already have a particular pattern of hair loss where you are going to lose your hair somewhere in your lifetime. So when you reach that particular age where hair loss typically triggers, which might be around 18, 19 or 20, some people trigger the hair loss in the 30s only and some people are in the 40s or 50s so we don't really know but normally it triggers in the early 20s and that means that this particular gene triggers and because the follicle is gene unprotected the testosterone starts attacking these particular sensitive follicles so the mechanism is actually very well known to us and well understood by us and what happens is that the enzyme 5 alpha reductase that enzyme converts testosterone into dehydrotestosterone or dht and this dht target these gene unprotected follicles so that's what exactly happens when dht starts to circulate in your body it targets these follicles that have no protection against the the, the 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 testosterone and when it binds with these type 1 or type 2 receptors which i will explain now what happens then is that you it starts a miniaturizing process within the follicle what is that that is a weakening thinning and reducing of size of the follicle why is that 
is because the blood supply to the follicle is reduced. So in essence, we have a starv starvation of the follicle from nutrients and blood supply. And that leads typically in nature that you have a miniaturization process uh, kicking off. If you think about a plant, and when you water the plant and you give the plant nutrition, it is beautiful, it's growing, it's big, it grows as big as it possibly can. But when I stop watering that plant, when I stop feeding the plant, the plant naturally starts to decline and starts to wither and eventually ends up getting smaller and smaller, changing color to a yellow color and eventually just stops growing and die off. That is exactly the same process that happens to the hair follicle. Once this gene unprotected follicle was attacked by the dehydrotestosterone or DHT, the DHT uh, reduced the blood supply to the follicle. It induces this um, hair um, follicle reduction in growth of a hair. And the hair that is produced is thinner, shorter, more breakable, and doesn't follow the normal um, program of hair growth, anagen phase, which is the active hair growth, and telogen, which is the resting phase. So typically, a normal hair will be in anagen phase for seven to nine years. When the follicle was attacked by DHT, that anagen growth phase reduced to only four or five years. So that hair grows for a much shorter period of time. But even more importantly, the normal hair, in other words, the gene-protected hair, typically goes, grows for seven to nine years and then goes into a resting phase called telophase for about nine months to 12 months. In this 12 months, there's a rejuvenation of the follicle and the follicle prepares itself for a new cycle of seven to nine years of growth. And once the hair starts to grow, it starts another growth cycle of seven to nine years. This telophase is a critical part of people with hair loss because this telophase is not only nine months to 12 months anymore, but increases to about 18 months, increases further to two years, increases to three years before a new hair growth. And that's why you have a deficit in replenishing hair. So it's not only about just hair loss, it is also hair that is actually still supposed to grow that comes into play at a much later stage and hence that you start getting thinning of the hair in a particular pattern. Okay, so two questions for you. Firstly, DHT is obviously the culprit here. This is what we're trying to we're trying to, uh, to to identify what's causing hair loss. DHT, dihydrotestosterone. Is there a, a a purpose in the body for this hormone? This is the first question. Like, if five alpha reductase is creating DHT, I mean, the argument is we obviously need it for something if the body's creating it. Um, and my second question there: if you're describing hair loss as akin to a plant, when that hair miniaturizes and disappears, is it dead like a plant, or is it is it still there? Can it still grow if you do something to it? Right. So let's start with the second question. It is absolutely still there. In other words, the follicle itself, the complete anatomy 
is completely preserved. There is no change in the follicle, and I'll get to this a little bit later, because there are diseases we actually affect the follicle and destroy the follicle. In your androgenetic alopecia, andro is hormone, genetic is male or female, uh, female suffering from genetic inherited gene, um, hair loss, and obviously alopecia is hair loss. So in your normal androgenetic alopecia, the hair follicle is completely retained. Think about a womb of a lady that can't bear any children. There's nothing wrong with the womb. It is perfectly intact. Everything is there that should be there, but there's no production. So in a hair follicle that is gene unprotected, in other words, the DHT has done the damage. Now that follicle is reduced to a level where it can't sustain or even start a new hair growth. And that follicle goes basically into a dormant sleep for life. Now, this is the beauty of regenerative medicine, because now we have ways to actually activate that follicle again. Wake it up, nearly put like putting switching the light on. And it can, in theory and in practice, it does start to produce hair again. But there are certain conditions and certain rules that you need to abide. One of those rules is you need to protect that follicle against the onslaught of testosterone. So it is a science that we manage here. This is not a cosmetic movement to make things look better. It is actually a scientific approach to induce active hair growth where that hair growth has actually switched off. We need DHT in our bodies to control the mechanism of that hair loss. And especially the hair going into the telophase is actually uh, uh, a DHT role to switch that follicle off to stop producing the hair and allow the follicle to actually go into a holiday phase where the telophase is critically important for the follicle to physically rest, restore, get new capillary blood vessels to induce a new um, environment for maximum growth and development for that follicle. So all of things are important. But when DHT becomes a pathological issue, in other words, a disease or induce a disease, then we make war with it. And that's why we developed the likes of finasteride and now lately deuteride tablets um, to reduce um, uh, hair loss. And the FDA has registered uh, both finasteride and deuteride as hair loss anti-hair loss of drugs. So how do they work? Interesting enough, the body is never just simple. We actually have two types of 5-alpha reductase inhibitors. Right, we have a type 2 5-alpha reductase inhibitor, which is uh, targeted by finasteride. So finasteride is an analog of this testosterone, and actually what it does, it reduces and changes the 5-alpha reductation uh, reductase not to develop into DHT. In other words, it blocks that change from testosterone to DHT. It is the DHT that attacks the follicles, right? So if we can reduce that, we reduce the attack on the follicle. And here's the beauty of the treatment, because the finasteride 
um, is a type 2 5-alpha reductase uh, inhibitor. And that reduced about 70% of the follicles would be type 2. The other 30% would be type 1-alpha uh, reductase inhibitors. And we, until this year in Europe, had actually no protection to offer for our clients who would still be exposed 30% of their hair to DHT. So when they take finasteride, we could with confidence basically say to them, in theory, we can protect 70% of your hair that would have been lost. All right. Now, since June this year, uh, right the drug that contains both type 1 and type 2 alpha reductase inhibitors, are actually now registered in the EU. And now we can confidently say to clients, nearly up to 100% of your hair can now be protected from your testosterone and from converting to DHT, which eventually lead to total hair loss. So just a question on that. If you have interior 100% protection from DHT, are you not then blocking the function of DHT to do its normal job, which we've just discussed there in terms of helping the hair to regenerate normally? If you're blocking all of it, obviously we want to block most of it, but if you're blocking all of it, does it not stop the regeneration process? Keep in mind that we are stopping those in the gene unprotected follicles. Okay. It doesn't affect your normal function of DHT, which continues in other fo follicles. This is an abnormal reaction in the body and it's a pathological process that we basically alter or change. So people taking the, the finasteride, do steroid, of course there are side effects and should always be discussed with your doctor and not every person is suitable to take finasteride or do steroid. But what it means in theory today when we use the wonderful word nearly 100%, it means that in theory today, if I have a young man sitting with me at 20 years of age, having signs of hair loss, and I can manage that person right from the beginning in the correct way, it is highly unlikely that that person will still need a transplant later. And that's the fact. That's the beauty and the importance of having a proper consultation with a trained, qualified hair restoration surgeon and why it should not be consulted by a nurse or a salesperson, least of all a marketer. Because unless you have a full understanding of this and you can read into psychology of your client, which you need to be trained for to do, all right, you are going to miss the opportunity here to offer that person best practice advice. And this is what medicine is about, is guidelines and best practice. Okay, so I'm going to bring us back to it because you touched on it and I know it's going to come up and I know it's going to explode as well. When you talk about finasteride and dutasteride, the side effects. So one of the big things that we see when people come in is they've done their a, a little bit of reading and, and Google, Dr. Google has given them some, some feedback. Finasteride and dutasteride, um, obviously, like most medications, when they've studied them, have they found some side effects. Now, with these particular medications for men, they're all the scary ones that people don't want to talk about, and they're sexual in nature and libido-related and things like that. So when we have someone come in, and I see it straight away, as soon as you mention the word finasteride and now dutasteride, you can see the fear in their eyes almost immediately because they've read so many horror stories online. Now, 
I know, and you know, that a lot of these stories are unfounded. But the fact of the matter is the studies were done and they did show side effects. Um, and I know in these studies, the placebo groups also show side effects. And there's lots of different um, considerations when you talk about these side effects. But what I'd like you to, to talk about now is when you're speaking to somebody about this medication, how do you address with them that, yeah, there is side effects, but how, how do you put their minds at ease? And, and how do you feel comfortable uh, recommending medication for people when you, when there are these side effects have been mentioned? And this is a question we get all the time and people actively try and um, stop young men and women because women, and we might touch on, they can use this medication now as well, certain demographics of women, but pretty much most young men, they, they actively try and discourage them from taking this medication. And we've heard stories from um, everything from from the, the kind of the physiological effects that I've mentioned that are sexual in nature to psychological effects, long-term depression, and, and, and all sorts of things we've heard. Um, w- w- what kind of comments can you make on that? What foundation is there to that? And, and how, how do you recommend a medication to somebody when these side effects are, are an issue? I think I suppose it is all about the bigger picture Dan and I have great uh, empathy and sympathy with a client coming in having to start any medication let alone for a chronic medical condition that means for life on medication if I have somebody with high blood pressure I tell him you have a chronic medical condition you're on high blood pressure for life it is in first and instance a very difficult thing to digest for a 23 year old to be on medication every day of his life so it doesn't sit well with any healthy person as a matter of fact i think it is very negative on a feeling of wellness to have taken tablets to to get that wellness but it is about the orientation of the mind here that is very important and again about the professionalism of the advice that you are given if you listen to Dr. Google or you lend your ears out to a blog or you talk to people who might not be uh, qualified in this field, I, I, I need to caution people against doing that. It's like me going, to, going on a plane and start talking to the guy next to me and say, do you think this plane will fall? Of course there's a risk. If that person is truthful, you say, oh, yeah, there is a chance that this might fall. It's highly unlikely, but it might fall. Now, if I approach everything in life that might be a risk with that, I'll be a wreck at the end of the day because there are so many risks all around us. Can you imagine aspirin possibly killing more people a year than any other tablet for that matter? Why? Because if if there is a side effect and your body interacts in a particular way to aspirin, it is a life-threatening drug. Is that a fact? It's a fact. So there are people with severe aspirin reactions. There's people with severe uh, uh, reactions to statins. There are deaths every year caused by statins. Does that mean that I should not take statins or prescribe statins to my clients at all? because there are people dying of statins. So this is a scientific discussion. So let's start this discussion. It is about the bigger picture. The World Health Organization, for instance, have interesting statistics. For instance, they agree that there would be statin deaths every year. Quite a number of them. People with liver failure, rhabdomyolysis, which is uh, an attack on the muscles of the body, and people actually dying of statins. But did you know that 
heart bypass surgeries reduced with more than 70% over the last 20 years. Why is that? Because we have introduced statins 25 years ago, and now we see the benefit in the total population of the cholesterol-lowering drugs. And yes, now we have less blockages, less atheroma uh, plaques forming, less atherosclerotic disease, and less bypass surgeries. We have a very interesting discussion just uh, about a year ago with a colleague of mine who's a thoracic um, uh, a surgeon qualified that told me that bypass surgery when he started uh, studying seven years ago was one a daily routine operation in his hospital. Now they're nearly fighting over who is doing the next one. So it shows you in the bigger picture, yes, there are detrimental effects, but the population in total benefit from this particular drug. When we look at the population of hair loss in men and in women, we have to balance that. And this is where the Federal Drug Agency of the FDA and the World Health Organization balance these things for the benefit of the greater population. So they would typically say, yes, we acknowledge there are some people that have permanent or semi-permanent sexual dysfunction after taking um, the finasteride. Yes, it is possible, but keeping in mind that 97% of people absolutely benefit and reduce hair loss, if not stopping it, most of it now using the deuteride. So we know that 3% of men having taken the tablet actually would present with some form of the side effects. Right, so here is the decision. This is the crucial point, having a doctor sitting across the patient, explaining what I'm explaining now to the client, giving the facts that it is highly unlikely that they will get any side effects from the finasteride or deuteride. But because it is possible, I still need to tell them about and inform them about possible complications. It is a relationship between me and my client that makes the difference here. Why? It is all about managing that introduction of that drug. If I have any client with me, whether it's for a tonsillitis, whether it is for hair loss, whether it is for a pneumonia, I still need to explain the medication. I need to explain possible side effects. I need to explain how to take it and what to do if you see any side effects happening. Now, this is not happening in the market. Unfortunately, many a time patients are seen or, or never even consultant. They're seen by marketers, they're seen by a nurse or a practitioner that has uh, no formal training in air restoration and now try to explain to people about the, tr the drug. Secondly, people going on the internet, learning from people who are also not qualified. And some of them might be qualified, I'm not sure, but nevertheless, the fact is that what is the relationship between the person or the entity giving the advice and the person taking the tablet? The next thing is interesting in the market is that we have this habit of people buying, say for instance, a five milligram tablet, and then they're breaking it in quarters or halves and thinking, this will work for me. There's no evidence that that fractured tablet is actually delivering because these tablets are many a time very specialized in the way they're produced with an enteric coat, 
which protect it against the hydrochloric acid of the stomach. You break that tablet, you break the coat, you break the protection. You have no idea how that drug then interacts further in the body. It's released as a, as a, as a carpet bombing in the stomach with a high sudden rush of finasteride in, in the system. And yes, expect side effects. It increases your risk for, for side effects. If you take a proper tablet that is protected with its interior coat, that is a complete, say for instance, a one milligram tablet, it's absorbed, it goes through the stomach, it goes into an alkaline environment in the small bowel where it's gradually released. Yes, it is now released according to the design. And these are small things that sound stupid or irrelevant but becomes very relevant when you suddenly have somebody with a side effect. Also, when you introduce these tablets, there are certain ways not to do it. And start taking it every day is not to do it. And that is so important when we talk about this topic of possible side effects, is that you have a very well-qualified, well-trained doctor giving the advice to the client and nobody else. Nobody else should instruct unless that person has been seen or examined by a qualified doctor. Do you think with this kind of medication um, and the specific type of side effects that are reported to be associated with, with their psychological and sexual, do you think that there is a psychosomatic aspect to this? And what I mean by that is a lot of people get their information online, on Facebook, on Google. It's sensationalist. Um, we know that there is a, a parallel marketing campaign by say for the shampoo companies who sell their anti-hair loss shampoo, they really push these negative findings of these medications to try and stop people having them because why would they want people taking a drug that's going to stop their hair loss? They're not going to buy the shampoo anymore. Do you think that some of these reported side effects, and they could be genuine now, uh, are, are, are as a result of people reading things that freak them out, that cause high stress levels, that cause anxiety, which we know can lead to depressive incidents, we know it can lead to sexual performance issues, uh, lack of libido, and these are the top reported side effects. It makes sense to me when, like, we've never seen a side effect in this clinic because our clients are educated, but we've got loads of people who come in who say they've seen people who've had side effects, and they've seen there's 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 interviews on famous TV shows and magazine articles all saying the same thing, don't take this medication, it will ruin your life, it'll cause you A, B, C, and D. Do you think that social pressure adds a, a, a medical element to this? To, uh, absolutely. To this so the first thing, of course, there is always a possibility that somebody might still walk into my clinic. I'm prescribing this now for 15 years. We are luckily through good client education and selection to make sure we give it to the yeah. right person. Right. Just want to clarify that. The second thing is, I can't remember in my career as a doctor now um, ever having to defend using an antibiotic, anti-inflammatory, any other medication that I prescribe. But the moment I put down finasteride, it is war. It's an anxious, sweating patient starting to say, um, I'm not sure if I should take it. My, my neighbor says this is very bad for me, and I've read on the internet. It, I suppose it's one of the most read about tablets ever, about, especially when it comes to side effect. Now, if people start doing that same level of research, on antibiotics, on anti-inflammatories, on any other medication, guess what? They will be breaking out in sweat as well. Because guess what? There is very little out there that is completely safe. Every medication that we prescribe has the potential to have a side effect. 
why people are focusing on Finisterre is purely social media, purely internet-based, fear-inducing campaigns. And it is true. I'm not saying they don't have medica- uh, possible side effects. I'm saying it is unlikely and it can happen. But it is down to the bigger picture. It is looking at the bigger picture of here you have a hundred young men. It means that 97% of them you can save from having hair loss by just taking the medication. Three of them might develop a side effect and has to stop it and they will lose the hair. The point here is finasteride as a type 2 alpha 5 alpha reductase inhibitor is a highly effective way of stopping and reducing hair loss. And that is on the other side of the balance scale. What is the benefit compared to the possible side effect? And the benefit outweighs that possible side effect. And that is not only with finasteride, doctors would look at this, we will look at every other treatment. We will weigh up the benefit against the possible side effect and then you make your call per individual client. And as long as you follow that guideline in medicine, there's no additional fear that patients should have walking into your hair loss clinic for good advice. Yeah, I think that's really fair. Uh, and it's in no way insensitive to people who might have experienced the side effect at, no, all. at all. These are the facts. Are. These are the facts of taking medication. Uh, and and, what, and the, the, the attack that's thrown back a lot of the time is, well, what about the 3%? What about the 3 It's 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 a thing about medicine. If you could cure 100% of people 100% of the time, That'd be fantastic, like, but you can't. People people get sick and they die and they get illnesses and they hurt themselves all the time. Um, and some people take medications and have side effects and keep taking them because the medications help them. And like you said, it's a, it's about a balance. Yeah. Dan, I think the, the 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 essence here is with any other medication. When you start a patient with medication and you warn them about possible side effects, it is then between the practitioner and that client to walk the walk while you go on that medication. Whether it is an antidepressant you start the person on or an antihypertensive, you have to walk the walk with a client. You have to inform them you might be dizzy, you might be fainting, you might have a headache, you might not feel well, you might be nauseous. And if the client knows, uh, get one of these, it is for contact between you and the client and managing that possible side effect. It is nothing different with finasteride or dusteride absolutely normal practice to walk the walk with a client. The important thing here is if you do it on your own and you get side effect, the tablet is very quickly blamed for causing the damage. And nothing is said about that person taking the risk without supervision of a properly uh, qualified doctor to walk the walk and help the person to make sure that he gets on this medication the right way. Like I said, the wrong way is just to fall away and start taking the tablets. There are very specific ways how you should start your alpha reductase reducing drugs, or your DHT reducing drugs, and if you do it right and you manage it with your doctor, there should be absolutely no more risk that for you starting that than any other tablet. So that's one of the ways we can manage hair loss. And I want to get into the, the kind of the treatment protocol in, in a minute or so. But just before we do, I'm going to go back to, to hair loss and the types of hair loss, because you've mentioned genetic pattern baldness. 
but there's more to hair loss than genetic pattern baldness as well. It's not just in your genes, uh, a, pro- a progressive chronic disease. Like me, for example, I have alopecia. Now, alopecia is a generic term for hair loss, but I have a specific type of hair loss that's not genetic. Um, or we don't think it's genetic anyway. So w- what are the other types of hair loss apart from the, the genetic pattern baldness for males and females that, that, that can cause your hair to follow? Yeah. Dan, it's very simplistic in the approach that we have as hair restoration surgeons. We know there are literally tens of reasons why people lose their hair. And it's very important that you examine by a qualified hair restoration surgeon to establish exactly what type of hair loss you have. Yes, over and above the normal male and female pattern baldness, we basically can divide hair loss in two groups. One is the scarring alopecias or hair loss, and the other one is the non-scarring alopecias. Right. So if we start with the non-scarring alopecias, it is that group of hair loss uh, clients where the follicle stays 100% intact. In other words, there's no damage to the follicle. It can produce a hair and it has the potential to produce hair for life, except the mechanism that actually activate the hair to form has been switched off by your genes. So that means that gene unprotected hair follicle has now stopped the production of hair for life and now it's empty for life. That is your non-scarring alopecias. Under this group also will fall your telogen effluvian and um, you you have different types of non-scarring conditions that falls under this group. On the other hand, you have the scarring alopecias. In this case, the follicle is actually involved in a pathological process or disease. In other words, there is a development of a condition with a pathogenesis. It has an origin. It developed into a particular pattern of inflammation of the follicle and the inflammation most of the time leads to permanent destruction of the actual follicle. In that case, there is absolutely no way with all the best intentions in the world to activate a new hair growth from that follicle. It has been destroyed. So that would include conditions like frontal fibrosing alopecia, it is more common than people would think. And it's very important that when you consult your client for the first time, not to just accept that is a non-scarring male pattern baldness. You have to go through the options of possibilities and make sure of your diagnosis. That is the very first step of your consultation or your roadmap to restore your hair is to have the right diagnosis. Okay, so I'm I'm experiencing a hair loss. I'm man or woman, whatever age I'm, I've whatever type of hair loss I have doesn't really matter. And I come and I see somebody like you. I see a hair restoration surgeon or someone who claims that they can help me to to grow my hair back or or do a transplant or whatever it is. What steps do you use and we use here in the clinic to to explain to a client what can be done? What what tools are at our disposal here to manage hair loss? Is it the same for everyone? It is more or less the same for everyone. The, 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 the methodology of establishing 
uh, hair restoration is worldwide accepted to have a fairly straightforward methodology. The first step is proper consultation, which include history, examination, preferably a blood test if it can be done, preferably assessing other factors like diseases, family history, etc., in, that can all play an effect in hair loss. It also includes, hopefully, uh, good imaging, an enlargement of the, of the focus area, magnification of the scalp and hair loss, counting the hair per square centimeter. In other words, we get a very calculated impression of the level of hair loss. Then, from that only, after establishing your diagnosis, after establishing the severity of the hair loss, as well as identifying and classifying the pattern in a male using the Norwood scale and the female using the Ludwig scale, most uh, cl uh, clinicians will do that. And after doing that, it gives you an, an idea of what options for restoration they would be. So when the client is ideally uh, suitable for restoration, in other words, there's no secondary health issues, etc., again, the methodology would be quite straightforward. First and foremost, always prevention is better than care. So what measures can be taken to prevent hair loss or reduce the hair loss or protect the hair loss? And here we are talking about medical interventions. That would be typically be your finasteride, your duasteride, your minoxidil. There are other preparations that one can be considered as well. Right. The second option that we can consider is always your intervention. That includes surgical or non-surgical interventions. Surgical uh, interventions will typically be your FUT strip procedure, which is a very old procedure and is still done by many clinics. But it is basically started to lose popularity because of permanent scarring issues, more visible scarring issues, and it's losing popularity towards the follicle unit extraction or FUE, and that's the only procedure we offer in our clinic is the FUE or the one-by-one one extraction. And that leaves less visible scarring. All right. So those are the two surgical options. You can also consider as a non-surgical intervention the scalp micropigmentation, which is a great possibility to reduce the appearance of, of, of baldness, especially a person who is completely lost all the hair. That's a more cosmetic. Solution. That's more a cosmetic restoration or correction of that. But it is still a procedure, so it still falls under an intervention. The third option of treatment would be our very exciting new stimulation treatments. And here we talk about stem cell based therapies. In other words, all those therapies that we can apply to stimulate this perfect follicle that is still intact to start a new anaphase. So what is the goal of the stimulation therapies? Is to reduce the telophase period, in other words, the resting period of the follicle, and induce a new anagen phase or growing phase. And it's that switch off 
of the holiday that we are targeting using growth factors, our stem cell derived therapies, our leukotrins, and all the stimulation therapies that we do in the clinic here, for instance. Those typically would include PRF, platelet-rich fibrin, PRP, platelet-rich plasma, our um, stem cell-derived therapies from adipose tissue, which is your adipose-derived or nanofat-derived therapies. We think about carboxytherapy, which is CO2, a natural gas that we exhale as humans, and we can do stimulation further using mechanical irritation of the scalp using a derma roller. So there are many other options of treatments, including then growth factor injections, which can be locally given into the scalp. So we have a wide range of options to stimulate this um, um, growth of the new of the hair, existing hair follicles that is actually in a dormant sleep. So in a nutshell, we can actually stop hair from falling out with the medication, the DHT 5-alpha reductase blocker, so finasteride, dutasteride. You can literally move hair around on your head to the places that need it with a transplant. Um, and you can actually reverse hair loss with the regenerative medicine. That's kind of what, what we're saying. Now, when someone comes in, are all of those options used with every client? Um, or is it more specific than, than that? If someone has, for example, mild hair loss, they're obviously not going to want a hair transplant, whereas somebody who comes in with full Norwood 7, no hair left on the top of the head, preventing isn't really the best option for someone like that. So it's, it's a bit of a, a pick and mix depending on the client. Mm, absolutely. And I think the, the message here is in education one. And that is for future generations and hopefully 20, 30 years uh, uh, from now, we will look back at hair loss and think, you know what, this is a treatable disease. And that's exactly what it is. It is a treatable disease. And especially if you can catch that person at a very young age, it is most likely totally avoiding actual baldness. So a day of care, a lifetime of hair is what we say in this clinic, and that is exactly what it is. Most people, to have a radical change and correction of that, needs that transplant. And yes, most of the people coming into my clinic still need a transplant. They've gone past that 50% loss of hair, which basically indicates that they are candidate for an actual transplant. Yes, in that case, a day of care, a lifetime of hair because they will retain that hair. We basically take that gene-protected hair from the side and the back that is programmed to grow for life, and we transfer it onto the bald area where it will start growing for life. But not everyone is suitable for that. And this is where the consultation comes in again. That hour to hour and a half that we spent with a client to assess actual hair loss origin of hair loss, options of treatment, possible of possibility of future treatments. We consider the costs of that. That discussion with your client is critical for deciding this treatments. And I cannot stress enough, this is not something you can just do over the telephone or look at the photo and say, uh, I think mm, you, um, mm, about 2,000 follicles. That is wrong. 
that is in principle not the right way to approach hair loss in the first place. What is important for you is that you should classify the person according to the Norwood scale, 1 to 7, or female in the Ludwig scale. That gives you an indication. If a person is a Norwood 1, 2, or 3, in other words, it's in the early stages of, 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 of hair loss, they're very suitable for, number one, prevention and protection. So your medical uh, therapies, including your finasteride, deusteride. They also benefit hugely from doing your stimulation or stem cell-based therapies to restore back the little bit of hair they already lost. When you start seeing a client that has a, a Norwood uh, 3, 4, 5, and even up to a 6 hair loss, you immediately add also correction. So yes, they still have to do the medical uh, treatments, including protection for their hair loss, and then they also need the intervention. FUE, follicle hair transplant, is necessary to correct their hair loss. And yes, they still need to stimulate their own follicles, which is still sitting in that bald area where the hair was transplanted. What if you can stimulate those additional follicles to come back to life and actually produce hair that's going to increase the density and the volume of hair in your transplant area. That gives you optimal results. If you have the unfortunate guy that comes in as a Norwood 6 or Norwood 7, I would be very, very cautious to advise a hair transplant in that case. That person has advanced levels of hair loss and that person would be ideal to consider the scalp micropigmentation, for instance, because when they shave the hair off and we do a scalp micropigmentation procedure, it is a very natural and very convincing way of presenting to the public as a head of hair, but just very short shaven. So we can really cater for all levels of hair restoration from the tiniest bit of hair loss in the frontal hairline right up to the advanced person we can now offer treatments and the same go for females for females for many many years we actually had nothing to say except uh, uh, uh we're not sure we don't know but we'll have a podcast for females and because there's radical new interesting ways of managing female hair restoration which is going to radically change the devastating effect that a lot of females would suffer from losing their hair. So female pattern baldness are moving a step on. We are now moving to exciting new times for females to offer them as well good solutions to re retain and gain a new fresh appearance. There's a great example of this wellness team that's underlying all of the conversations that we have because Absolutely. knowledge and people understanding exactly what it is that we do here and that, that, that top hair restoration clinics actually do is really, really important for someone to understand why we do it and what treatments that they might need. Because like, for example, one of the, the common things we have nowadays is we get a lot of phone calls from people and they ring me and they say, Dan, I want to have a PRP treatment. And they've they've heard about PRP is the, the, the latest kind of, I suppose, the, the buzzword. Go, the, yeah, the buzzword. It's a regenerative treatment, platelet-rich plasma. It's hemopoietic stem cells um, and leukotrins and prostaglandins and everything. But it's from your blood. And basically extract the blood, 
take out a certain par- portion of the blood, which is the, the PRP, the plasma, and that's injected back into the scalp. And you're basically giving the, the, the area, the ingredients it needs to grow. But people read this and they hear this online and they ring and they say, Dan, I want a PRP treatment. But they've no idea about how many they want or they need or what kind of hair loss they have or is it actually the right treatment for them. But they've heard this is a treatment for hair loss and they want it. Now, that's a good example of how hair loss is misunderstood because from just from the last 40 minutes talking to you here, we now know that hair loss involves so many different factors and it's different for everybody and there's so many different ways of addressing it. Why is PRP the post treatment? So when someone rings and they ask me that, the first thing we have to say to them is, well, listen, come in and have a chat. Let's talk about this. Let's give them the information that we've just had this discussion about let them understand what hair loss is and all of a sudden and you can see it with every single person that comes in man or woman no matter what age they have an ah moment yeah that eureka yeah eureka (laughs) moment and they go ah now i get it yeah they're like why was i why did i even want the prp um and an important thing for people to understand you said it it's a chronic condition it's ongoing you don't have to manage this if you don't want it and uh, this is actually something we should we should really kind of spend a minute on here some people their hair loss doesn't bother them that's fine in my experience most people it does bother them but we work in the hair restoration industry so most people we we meet it'll bother them because i've come to see us because it bothers them uh, it bothered me when my hair was falling out but it doesn't bother me anymore but it, it that, that's irrelevant because wellness is is as we've said it's it's whatever the goal for that particular person is and in order to, to achieve that, we have to help them understand the, the way to get there. And with hair loss, the way to get there is to understand the problem and to apply a specific treatment. So when it comes to PRP and people asking for, I, I need a hair transplant or, or, or all these different kind of, as you said, buzzwords that are out there at the moment, it's not the point. The point is understand the issue first, understand the problem, understand the solution, which will help you with, and then make a decision. Don't make a decision at the start of that journey because you've none, none of the information. Like. Yeah. Dan, that, that is part of the challenge we have in our industry, and not only in my industry, but in nearly all the aspects of, 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 gen- of, of medicine in general. For instance, the GPR now these days faced with a person that has visited Dr. Google before she walks into, and she would walk and say to the GP, I want an amoxicillin for my chest infection. Now, that's something the GP must manage, and it is a reality of our time. I get by people walking into me already have decided this is the treatment I want. So they walk into me and say, listen, I want PRP. Don't, I don't want to hear about Finistera. I don't want, I'm not interested in transplant anything. I just want PRP. It is still my responsibility to have the softness in my heart to make sure that that person leave with the right information that stays my responsibility i it should not bother me if that person has an attitude to force on me the ideas of his or her mind it is my duty in a very nice way to educate right and this is the exciting bit of it because most of the time i want to say all of the time when i've presented my knowledge to them and when i explain to them the bigger picture i've not had one client over all the years that said but you know what i'm actually going still back i just want my prp because we're back to this whole thing of chronic medication and chronic medical conditions like you mentioned if somebody comes into me and say listen i know i have diabetes give my insulin and i want to go i'm going to say to that person i'm sorry there's much more than just insulin to managing your diabetes. 
Can I talk to you about losing weight, changing your diet, having to come and see me, managing your weight? So these are things that your diabetes will never control unless you do all of it. And I think people need to start grasping that fact. It is not just PRP. It is not just the transplant. It is not just the finasteride in the end that gives you a natural head of hair. It is combining knowledge. It is harvesting from the knowledge of your doctor to get the best for yourself to your expectation. And yes, there are people with budget constraints. There are people with what they want to constraints. But they still need to be given the options. They still need to be told. They still need to be offered best practice advice. And it's then up to them to decide, you know what, I'm not going to do any of this, or I'll just take the tablet, or I will do X, Y, and Z. But it is my responsibility as the head transplant surgeon to tell them exactly what is necessary in their particular case, because that differs from person to person. Yeah, there's, there's no magic bullet, and, and to say no, that there not. is or claim that there is is actually wrong. Um, and I, I skipped over it again, so I'm going to go back to it again in that with, with hair loss, it's really important to understand that it doesn't bother everybody to the same extent. Some people, it doesn't bother them at all. But if it does bother you, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, it's not it's not a vanity thing. We, we don't deal with vain people here, and we've been doing this for 10 years. It's, it's not a vanity issue. The people that come into us, they have... There's, there's other things going on there attached to their hair loss. They're they're deeply upset by this. They have image issues. They have confidence issues. I've lost count of the amount of people. And like we're not saving lives here. We're not doing heart transplants. We're doing hair transplants and we're doing regenerative medicine. Like, but in in a way, it affects people's lives because they come back to us. And I don't know how many people have said to us, Sam, uh, I, I've my relationship is saved. I've got that promotion I always wanted. Man, I'm playing sport again and I'm feeling good because I can brush my hair, I can go for a shower in the gym. And they're thanking us. And we're kind of going, well, listen, man, we didn't really, we, we just did We just did our job. Like, you went out and you now have the confidence and you went for the promotion and you that. But the, the, the key there is they feel, now they feel good. It, we've, it's something that they felt was missing or was gone. They have back and it's given them the ability to, to go do these things. And that's a really common theme. But on the same thread, if if your hair loss doesn't bother you, that's fine too. And one one thing I've noticed, a campaign that seems to be very popular in the hair restoration industry is almost bald shaming. Like, why would you be bald? Why would you want to be bald? Why would you want to lose your hair? That's not normal. That's a, It is normal. It's natural. It is a natural thing to lose your hair. Um, and anybody who claims it's not is wrong, but it is a medical condition and it can be treated. So there's two camps of people. If it bothers you and you're able to do something about it, if it doesn't bother you, don't. I think what is obviously happening here, and maybe our uh, academic colleagues in the uh, social uh, studies and philosophy would um, be able to assist us with actual uh, publications on this. And this is always this evolving social issues in in communities and, and in industries, for that matter, in Europe, on the US and we are behind the US in that way, you know, from a cosmetic point of view, how people see themselves and how the community see them and how community pressure or uh, affects people within a community. For instance, I can imagine in the 50s when you used color in your hair, people would have talked behind your back, you know, she's done her black hair, you see she looks like a horse, you know, and blah, blah, blah. Now it's not funny anymore 
if you're not dyeing your hair and you look you look 20 years older than you should, people might even in a friendly way comment on you, don't you think you should do a bit of color in your hair? It will really make a nice difference. People would actually go on the other way around, but it's more natural now within the community. It's acceptable. Let's take the second thing. When you think about the change in, 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 um, in teeth straightening over the last 10, 15, 20 years, that is common practice now. It is nothing strange to see somebody with, with their, their, their teeth um, the braces. The braces and, and all the kinds of, of, uh, of uh, different methodologies that they, that they help to straighten out to um, correcting the arch of the, of the, the teeth, etc. So it has become an acceptable a treatment for people to go around with and nobody makes a, 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 any comment about it anymore. We're just moving into that with hair restoration. It becomes definitely more acceptable and the likes of celebrities and sports people like Rooney and all of those doing these hair transplants have put out the confidence for people to step out and say, listen, I'm getting a hair transplant, right? I am John and I am bald but I'm not going to be bothered because it actually bothers me and everyone claps hands. Yeah. Right, we're getting there. So good, good for, for, the, for, the, for the community and for the way this evolving social acceptance for restoring your baldness. It is not seen anymore like just a pure unmanly thing to think even to correct your hair, you know. It is now much more seen as a mainstream correction of something that bothers you. On the issue of psychological effects, Dan, there are actually a lot of studies out there that actually particularly investigated the effect of hair loss on young men, middle-aged men, and then older men. And very interesting that you would see that if people were given a choice, they would have always corrected it. If there was not this stigma of emotional and to social and family stigmas to this, most men would actually say, yes, I prefer actually to have my hair back. You know, and I think we should not forget that we can whitewash a lot of things, including emotions. And in our industry, we do see that man, some of them are, oh, it took them two years to walk into this door. But once they hear, uh, they feel relaxed and then they get new zest of life and they get that wellness factor into them and and yes absolutely right you said the, the clients coming back they come back with a, sorry they come back with a different view of themselves of their problem the hair loss and very interesting they want to nearly go out and campaign and help those people that still struggle with the discussion <laughs> with the decision you know so it is, it is interesting that those pressures also come from the client side as well as the public, as well, obviously, from the marketing, which is everywhere. It is changing. I, I remember it as a funny story. We had a guy, must be eight or nine years ago, and remember he was having his hair transplant, and he said to us on the day, like, nobody's going to notice, are they? And we were like, well, it's a surgery. Like, it, it is a bit visible for, for a, a couple of days. And he said, oh, yeah. well, I haven't told the wife. Like, <laughs> yeah. is she going to know? We're like, yeah, she's probably going to know, man. He didn't even want to tell his wife. He was ultra ultra private about it he was freaked out that somebody would know that he was having a hair transplant well, she never found out she, you remember she, he slept with a hat 
he actually well, wore a hat, yeah. And he then wore think, the hat. Yeah, so <laughs> she didn't find out. I think the relationship she broke said down to her, after that. Why are you wearing a hat in bed? Anyway, so but it was now, a lovely winter time. In, in contrast, now, uh, I remember, was it last year, we had a guy sitting in the chair with his phone out and he was taking selfies and sending them to a group of about 15 or 16 other lads. And we were expecting the, the, the common kind of, uh, what are you doing and all that. But all the comments he got back, he showed me, were positive. It was, oh, well done, man, looks great, can't wait to get mine. And since then, I know this particular guy, we've got five or six of his friends have come in. So so it, it is changing the way people think about this. And it, and it's only right. And your, your, your teeth straightening analogy is perfect because... Like if if you chip a tooth or have a crooked tooth now, and you go get braces or get it fixed, you you're, the mates are always almost saying to you, "Listen, go get that sorted out, man. Your, yeah. your tooth is broken." Yeah, yeah. That's the way it is going, and and it, it is changing in in the. It's no longer stigmatized yeah, or shameful in social media. Yeah. And I well, can I remind you, just thirty years ago, people will still still go to work without front teeth. Exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you dare to walk into any corporate now without your front teeth. They will make the point for you straight away, you know, and the same we can see is happening in 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 in, in the hair restoration industry. It, it it's made easier for people to make that decision without the social pressure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It is a fact. This is a burden. People carry this as a burden. I carried it as a burden when I was losing my hair. Um, it, it's a burden that people carry that distracts them from other things that should be making them happier. And that's the that's the, the, the comment I make to everybody. It's not a shameful thing. It's not an unnatural thing. It's something that's happening and it's bothering you. And ignoring it is not going to make it not bother you any more or less. Um, another thing that people say to me um, when they come in is the last straw was often... A comment by somebody made in jest or someone making a joke or having the crack or having a laugh usually it was a woman might have said something oh Jesus John you're a bit thin on top there and it's the last straw in a long series of events for people now I've done an interesting social experiment just an anecdote when people come in a lot of women come through this clinic obviously as well for things like for hair loss and for skin um, and I asked them I was like is, is a man losing his hair is that unattractive is it something that you're not interested in and yeah you get maybe 5 or 10% of women it's personal preference they like long hair or whatever but this is no lie. Ninety percent of, of of these people say to me it has nothing to do with the hair. What they find attractive is the confidence or the self assuredness or somebody feeling good about themselves. That's attractive, and we know it's attractive. That's what people are attracted to each other because of their charisma and their confidence. So it has nothing to do with the physical appearance, the crooked teeth, or the the, the loss of hair. But when somebody loses something like that, it, it's it can, it can cripple you. Yes, exactly. It can suck that confidence out. It of you. changes those things that you mentioned. It, it completely changes those things, and that's the wellness factor, and that's that's kind of why we do what we do, and it's why it's part of the service that you offer in this clinic because as we know your journey is wellness and, and rest and regenerate regeneration um, and, and giving somebody back that power empowering them again is is why we do what we do yeah. now i'm going to respond to that in a strange way perhaps and i'm reflecting now over the years of those individuals that we would see that would fit that outfit where they've lost the confidence and they have really um came to to the point where they feel they can't present themselves the way they were they can't be themselves the way they feel they are have lost the presentation of the spirit and the appearance now isn't it interesting that sometimes when you talk to somebody about that and as you offer them solutions and you say well if we can do uh, hair restoration we can do medication and uh, it is sometimes like that eureka moment 
going off and the person said to you when can i when i can, can you come in when when can i do this you know uh, can we do this next week you know when how soon can you do this transplant for me it gives you an insight into the into the urgency that sits for so long in that person's mind to get a solution at last and suddenly they they find it and suddenly they know i this is exactly what i need you know i want it now so this is the difficult one when then you have to say to the person well good practice in medicine you need to allow a cool down period i want you to go and think about this no 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 i've been thinking about this for 20 years and that is always the challenge then for that person to to manage the expectation and this is something we need to talk about at some stage in in a blog is that how does a transplant then progress from there on when can people actually get to that point where they look the business and they can walk into a room and nobody would know that they were bald before. Do you know what the best thing is that people say to me and you when they come back in and we follow up with them after two or three years, whatever it is, and uh, I always ask them, listen, what's the story? How, how, how's the hair? And they kind of look at you like, what? How's the hair? They're like, geez, I don't even think about it anymore. <laughs> yeah, and that's the point. Exactly. Now they're yeah, not thinking yeah. about it. So from that urgency to I need a solution, I need to do something, every reflective surface, you, you, you catch a glimpse of yourself, oh, you have to fix the hair and oh, do we see more ball spot? Is it thinner? Every time you go into a, a restaurant or a nightclub or whatever it is, you stay away from the bright lights, you go into the dark corners. Like These are things that I did and th- things that people do when they're losing their hair. Uh, you don't have that anymore. It's gone. And that's that's a waste. It's gone. It's gone. And then that gives you the, the space. It gives you the mind space, the head space to go after the promotion or to, to, to work on the relationship or to develop a new relationship or to do whatever you want. Like that's, And that's the point here. But that's the best thing people say to me when I ask them, how's the hair? I, don't, I haven't thought about it like yeah, in a long yeah, time. That's, yeah. that's this, this topic really changes lives. This, this, this uh, ability for science to offer a good solution for somebody that should actually be completely bald even, it is a wonderful uh, uh, opportunity that we have in modern times that we can offer these uh, solutions for people who would have otherwise gone completely bald. You know? And I think it's embracing the opportunity with the right person, the right team, the right qualification, and to make sure that you select the right treatment for you, but also make sure that you select it for the right reason. Right. If if it doesn't bother you, please don't come and see me. But if it does bother you, absolutely welcome to come and see me. I don't know if you'll mind me touching on the subject or not, but you went through your own hair loss experience. Yeah, but I was in denial. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened with you? So I suppose... Um, I started doing my qualifications in 2008 in restoration surgery and I didn't have my transplant until about 2012, 2013. And the reason for that a, a period of, 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 of that is that it doesn't, didn't really bother uh, me that much. I didn't feel I have to do it because of the sake of doing it. I thought to myself, I will, I will wait until I feel I want this. So I was truthful in that way to me, just not because it was available to me, but because I wanted to make sure I wanted for the right reasons. And I was in denial all the time because I believed my hair was just fabulous. All right. And one day we had a, a break in, in the surgery year and we had a look on the CCTV and myself and Zelda and the policeman and the guard were standing there and we watched the, the TV and 
there was somebody walking across the, the, the reception area and I said to my wife, who's that bald guy? And she said, that's you. Oh, no. <laughs> so that, that was me booking myself in. That's where I realized, you know, looking through other eyes and from a different angle, you know, you can, you can have quite a weird distortion of your own impressions about yourself, you know. So, of course, yes, I, I then realize, you know, looking from, through more critical eyes, that I am an absolute Norwood 3 going Norwood 4 candidate. I've mainly a frontal hairline uh, reduction and hair loss. So I had a frontal hairline uh, correction doing um, a barrier procedure, which I do nearly every week with my clients here in the clinic. And it is an incredible experience. I kept on working. Nobody asked questions. Nobody could really see it because we don't really necessarily shave the hair off on the top. So my hair restoration gradually came back. But very importantly, I also did the stimulation therapies and I did the medical therapy using finasteride. So I did everything that I people to do. So I am advocating what I am doing. So I am guinea pig for myself for people who also of trusting me with their hair loss issues. So having the wonderful experience to to attend a reunion uh, with my uh, university mates just two weeks ago uh, in Pretoria, uh, South Africa, I was amazed to see how many bald guys there were around me. And uh, rightfully so, everyone went up to say, but how come you still have your hair? Well, I had a hair transplant. Ah, so yes, absolutely. It is defying the natural ways in a way, but also it is important for me, for my wellness, the way I feel about myself and the way how I want to present to the world and especially to my clients. It is important for me to have a good hairline. I need to have a good head of hair. I work for that. I have to sacrifice for that and I need to commit to it. If I don't do that, I can't expect to, to, to have what I have today. But yes, it is a sacrifice and it's a commitment, but it's great joy and great wellness. A good success story. Um, yeah, listen, this is, I mean, this is what we do. This is, this is at the end of the day, it is a business. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a career. Yeah. But it, this is a passion project for us as well. And like, we will do a lot more podcasts on specifically hair and hair loss. This is something that we're genuinely interested in. And it's not because you or me are obsessed with hair because of our personal journeys or anything like that it's it's such it's such a complex field but something that has so much potential to help so many people because the stats are very clear on this 30 percent of men and women by the age of 30 40 percent by the age of 40 50 percent by the age of 50 will experience hair loss some form of hair loss half the world goes through this so one of the reasons we're so interested in this is because it touches so many different lives in so many different ways and like i said it doesn't necessarily affect everybody negatively but it's there and it's it's something that we're really really interested in and it's a very very nice manifestation of a, a good way of treating a medical condition you can apply the same logic to any condition do a proper consultation find out exactly what's going on before you consider a treatment educate your client on all of the different options available how they work how they can benefit you and then then make a decision on a treatment, not at the start. Don't throw, don't, don't read a magazine or watch a video and say, I want a hair transplant. Walk the journey. And, and this goes for all medical conditions, but hair specifically is an area that we're interested in. Um, 
so yeah th- as I said we, we, we will do more podcasts and cover more topics in detail but for today I think that was a, an excellent yeah, introduction yeah, into yeah. the, the I think that loss. what lacks in our industry uh, Dan talking to you and us exploring through the, the through the gateways into knowledge etc you know uh, I think is the the honesty that that we lack in our industry there's a lot of dishonesty a lot, uh, instead of ethical conduct we see a lot of unethical conduct and no wonder we have confused people so between dishonesty and unethical conduct what do you expect and i feel sorry for people walking in sometimes with very distorted ideas what they read on the internet you know and it is really an educational journey then to tweak that mind to come into line of what are really facts i often find uh, having to 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 justify uh, my st- uh, position and stance against an internet opinion or a google opinion and i feel sorry always for a person like that and i will have the worlds of patience explaining then to them why that is incorrect but it is a pity that people that are desperate and this is the one word we know in exist in hair loss patient is the word desperate and unfortunately the likes of of a lot of marketing companies especially products marketing hair grow products know so well this word despair they understand how desperate these people are and they will they will put flowers on the head if they can make their hair grow if they can market that way and that is the the essence that we are dealing with today and i want to encourage people to think about this as a science and give your hair restoration surgeon a fair chance to educate you on that yes there's nothing wrong or gaining information out there but uh, in the words of 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 Donald Trump fake news we unfortunately in our in our industry also dealing with a huge amount of fake news and fake facts and i have to defend that you have to defend that when people come in right and it would have been so much nicer to have people coming in with a open mind with very little knowledge perhaps right and get the information and then go out and test that information that would have been ideal but we're not in an ideal world right but at the same time i want to say to people irrespective of what you've learned on the internet always come into your trained uh, hair restoration surgeon for best advice and best practice and i'm pretty sure you would be very happy in the end and have in the long term a great solution offer yeah equip yourself with the right knowledge and then you can go and you can pick through everything online yeah. and, and you'll make a good decision dr sam brilliant another another great conversation um, a so fascinating one uh, one we'll definitely pick up again but uh, thanks again for your time and welcome uh, we'll see you in the looking next forward one. thank you bye-bye bye If you'd like more information on anything we discussed in this podcast, or if you'd like to talk to somebody about your own hair loss, you can find us on www.humanregenerationproject.com or contact us through Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you think someone you know might benefit from listening to this conversation, just pass it along. Thanks for listening and see you next time.